Proverbs chapter 3, and we're going to pick up today in verse 13, and we'll read through the end of the chapter, and uh, that'll be our Bible study. Proverbs chapter 3, and let's pick up in verse 13 this afternoon. There it says, How blessed is the man who finds wisdom, and the man who gains understanding. For her profit is better than the profit of silver, and her gain better than fine gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire compares with her. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are all who hold her fast. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps were broken up, and the skies drip with dew. My son, let them not vanish from your sight. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, so they will be life to your soul, and adornment to your neck. Then you will walk in your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden fear nor of the onslaught of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Do not withhold good from those with whom it is due, when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, Go and and come back, and tomorrow I will give it, when you have it with you. Do not devise harm against your neighbor when he lives securely beside you. Do not contend with a man without cause, if he has done you no harm. Do not envy a man of violence, and do not choose any of his ways. For the devious are an abomination to the Lord, and he is intimate with the upright. The curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Though he scoffs at the scoffers, yet he gives grace to the afflicted. The wise will inherit honor, but fools display dishonor. Let's pray. Father, we come to you, Lord, asking, Lord, for you to teach us your wisdom, and Lord, to teach us to view this world in the proper way, Lord, in light of eternity, in light of the day of judgment. Lord, may the wisdom of salvation that is found in your word be more valuable to us than anything on this earth. Lord, may we want and desire it more than anything in this life, Lord, seeing that There is the blessing of salvation. Lord, all of the blessings, Lord, the spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus are given to those, Lord, who have your salvation. So, Lord, I pray that we would see this and that we would desire it more than anything else, that we would seek after it, Lord, more than gold and silver. And, Lord, that it would be sweeter to us than honey from the honeycomb. So, Lord, teach us from your word this afternoon, and it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Okay, well, we are continuing our study of the book of Proverbs. And in these opening chapters, the prophet is commending to us the the good, the necessity, the virtue, the value of wisdom, of wisdom. And the wisdom that we're dealing with here is not wisdom uh, that just pertains to how to do this or that in life. There are many people who might say, Oh, yeah, you can take the wisdom of Proverbs, and even an unbeliever could apply these things. Even an unbeliever could say, you know, I see in the book of Proverbs that being a drunkard isn't good, right? It's going to lead to poverty in this life, and you're going to have a lot of misery at home, so I'm not going to be a drunkard. Or they might say, you know, I see that if I don't discipline my children, but if instead I uh, do what the book of Proverbs says in regards to disciplining my children— then they're going to be well-behaved. They're going to be, uh, our house is going to have more peace and harmony, right? And it's going to be a better place. There are those who might look at this book from a purely earthly perspective and say, you know, I can do this or that and it's going to make my life better. But the wisdom that he's dealing with here is ultimately dealing with salvation. Salvation and godly living as a result of faith in Christ Jesus. Faith without works is dead. And the book of Proverbs is describing to us the salvation that we need in Christ Jesus and then the way that we should live as a result of that salvation. 
This is the wisdom. It is the fear of God. It is living in the fear of the Lord. And yes, an unbeliever might be able to say, I don't want to be a drunkard because I don't want to have a miserable life. But he's not doing it with the right motive. right? He's doing it for his own benefit in this life, maybe the benefit of his family, but he's not doing it in the fear of God. He's not doing it to please the Lord. But that's what the prophet is talking about here. He's meaning it in the right way. As a believer, as one who has the fear of God, as one who has the salvation of God. So he is now commending to us this salvation, the wisdom that makes one wise unto salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And salvation doesn't just have to do with getting us out of hell and into heaven. Certainly that's a part of our salvation, but salvation has to do with being set free from sin, set free from a godless evil life and living a new life, the new life in Christ And this is what he's talking about all throughout the book of Proverbs. So he's dealing with spiritual realities, salvation and the fruit of salvation and the way it should impact our life. And this is what he is commending to his son and to all of us as well who have ears to hear. So let us then listen to these words. He begins here in verse 13 with a blessing. How blessed is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gets understanding. For her profit is better than the profit of silver, and her gain is better than fine gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire compares to her. Right? The blessed man is the man who finds wisdom, the man who gains understanding. Right? There are many people who might sit and hear the word of God. They might hear it and they might even have some proper concepts in their mind concerning the things of God, but they don't really believe it. They don't really believe it and they don't have true faith in the word of God. Well, that's what he's talking about here. Finding wisdom is finding it in the inner man. It's finding it in the proper way. Gaining understanding is true faith in the content of the word of God. And the one who is a true believer in the word of God and in the wisdom of God is the blessed man. He is the man described in Psalm 1, the one who does not sit in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on this law he meditates day and night. Right? He is the one that the Lord will watch over. The wicked man is going to perish, but God watches over the way of the righteous. So the reason the man is blessed who gains wisdom is because it results in his salvation his reconciliation, the forgiveness of all of his sins. And this is the greatest blessing that a man can have in this life, is to have his sins forgiven. That is the truly blessed man. And that is the wisdom he is talking about here. 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. This is the wisdom that Timothy knew that he was taught by his mother and his grandmother. And it is the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 3, 14 to 15. He says, You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Right here, not only has he learned these things, but he says you have become convinced of them. He knows that these things are true. He believes them. So it's not just that he merely was taught the Bible as a child, but he came to be convinced of it, to believe it. That is the same as chapter 3.13. He found wisdom. He gained understanding because he was convinced that what the Bible teaches is true. What the Bible teaches is true, and I need to believe this for my salvation, for the forgiveness of sins. And that is the the wisdom that he knew. He calls it the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. This is the wisdom that men need. To know how to have their sins forgiven. That is man's greatest dilemma. He is a wicked man, a sinful man, who will stand before a holy God on the day of judgment. And he will give an account of everything that he's done in this life. 
all of his deeds, all of his thoughts, all of his words, all of his attitudes, he will answer to God. And what he needs more than anything else is to have his sins forgiven. And when we have that, then we are a blessed man, a blessed man. And that's what he's talking about here. That's why he says her profit is better than the profit of silver. The gain is better than the gain of gold. She's more precious than jewels. Yes, there is some benefit in gold and silver and jewels, but that benefit only relates to this present life. Because naked we come into the world, and naked we will depart. Right? We come in with nothing, and we leave with nothing. So whatever we gain in terms of gold and silver and jewels, we have those things in this life, and they may give us access to more comforts, to more pleasures, to a better life now, but we don't take those with us to the day of judgment. But the wisdom that we gain from the Word of God, it prepares us for the day of judgment. That is the whole purpose of it, is to prepare us before the day of judgment so that we might stand before God in a proper way and so that we might enter into the kingdom of God. It has benefit and value that goes beyond this life into the life to come, and that is why it is better than gold and silver and jewels. This we see illustrated in the contrast between the rich man and Lazarus. In that situation, the rich man and Lazarus, looking at them in their life, we might say that the rich man was blessed and, the Lazar- and Lazarus was cursed. But when we look at them in the life to come, we come to see and understand that actually Lazarus was the blessed man and the rich man was the cursed man. Because all of his riches he did not take with him into the life to come. He was not able on the day of judgment to stand with his great wealth and barter with God and bribe God and pay God off so that God would get him into heaven. He came into the world with nothing, he left with nothing, and he stood before God in his sin. Whereas Lazarus, because he knew the wisdom of God that leads to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, he stood before God clothed not in his own righteousness, but in the righteousness of Christ. And so he was the man who was blessed. The wisdom of God is dealing with eternal realities, preparing us to stand before God on the day of judgment. And that is why the one who gains understanding of this wisdom has something that is far more valuable than gold or silver or jewels, right? Because what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? What is there, right? What is there in this life that we could say, All of these riches that I had in this life were worth going to hell forever. Is that ever going to be the case? Even if a person gains the whole world, he has made a very foolish choice. Because even the world is not as valuable as your immortal soul. So why would you exchange your soul for the world? For gold, for riches, for jewels, for silver? It's a very, very foolish thing to do. And the one who gains wisdom and understanding knows that salvation is what we should pursue more than anything else. Yes, we should work and we should be diligent and work hard. And if God blesses us with riches, then that is good and fine. But what we should seek more than anything else is salvation. Salvation, the wisdom of God that leads to salvation. And that's why he says, nothing you desire compares to her. There's nothing in this earth that you desire that can compare to the value and worth of the wisdom of God that leads to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So if that is the most valuable thing that we can possess, then what should we seek? We should seek for this wisdom. But what do we often see? Aren't people more concerned, consumed with money, with wealth, with comforts, with pleasures? They will seek those things very diligently in this life, and they give little to no thought about the wisdom of God found in the Word of God. Well, we shouldn't be like that. But we have to have this eternal perspective. We have to look at these things according to the true reality. Verse 16. What is, why is she so valuable? Long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all of her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are all who hold her fast. Long life is in her right hand. She possesses long life. The wisdom of God leads to long life. Now that can 
relate to this present world. That there are promises and blessings in the Bible that God gives to those who obey Him. And that many times they will have and enjoy a long life. And a long life is a blessing that God can give to a person. Now, it doesn't guarantee that because we know that there are righteous people who die prematurely, who maybe die in the prime of their life. So it also has reference to another thing as well. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 9. Well, actually, we'll start reading in verse 8. Deuteronomy 11, verse 8. It says, You shall therefore keep every commandment which I am commanding you today, so that you may be strong and go in and possess the land into which you are about to cross to possess it so that you may prolong your days on the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give to them and to their descendants a land flowing with milk and honey. There, when the people of Israel were obedient to God and kept His commandments, then God subdued their enemies. They were not being invaded. They were not being overrun with calamities, with droughts, with all of the various afflictions that God can afflict a person with. And whenever invaders aren't coming in and invading you, are you going to live a longer life than if they are invading you? Of course you are. If you're not experiencing blight and drought and all of the various uh, things that can come upon you, are you going to have a longer life than if you are having those things? Of course you are. So long life God gives to those who keep His commandments. That this is one of the blessings that God confers on His people. Isn't the first commandment with a promise? The commandment to honor our father and mother? And what is the promise attached to that commandment? That you may live long. That you may live long. So when we obey God, long life is many times one of the blessings that God will give to his people. Now, this isn't a guarantee, right? It may be, but it may not be. There are some who are righteous who did not have a long life such as Stephen, who died prematurely. But even if that happens, then there is another kind of long life that wisdom possesses. And what is that long life? It is eternal life. Eternal life with God. And this is a guarantee, right? This is a guarantee for all of God's children. For all of those who gain the wisdom of the Bible, they will have eternal life. And that is very long life because it never comes to an end. Jesus says in John 10, 28, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. He gives eternal life, and we will never perish. And that is the wisdom of salvation. Also, he says, riches and honor. Riches and honor are in her left hand. Her right hand is long life. Her left hand has riches and honor. This also is taught in relation to heaven. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, those who heed the wisdom of God that results in salvation, who gain this wisdom, have riches and honor waiting for them in the life to come, in heaven. This is where their riches are stored. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. There are treasures in heaven. Treasures in heaven. And who will receive those treasures? But God's children. He will give to His children these treasures. Also, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Riches and honor. Riches and honor. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 to 8, the Apostle Paul says that God has a crown waiting for him. And a crown both conveys riches, because crowns are valuable, and also honor, because the crown is set upon the man of honor, an honorable man, a kingly man. 2 Timothy 4, verse 6. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, 
and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So there, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Well, isn't that a very honorable thing? To stand before the righteous judge, Jesus Christ, and for him to give to you a crown of righteousness? That is a great honor for the people of God. And is that only for the Apostle Paul? He says, no, not only for me, but all who have loved his appearing, which is true of all believers. All believers love, long for the appearing of Christ. Isn't there nothing greater than to see him face to face? Don't we all long to be with our Lord, to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord, which is much more desirable. This is better by far, to be with the Lord. So all of God's children have this longing for him to appear, and all of them will receive the crown of righteousness. And Christ, the righteous judge, will confer that crown to them. So that is a great honor. And this is for those who gain the wisdom of God that leads to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Also, he says, her ways are pleasant ways and her paths are peace. The wisdom of God leads to a pleasant place, to a peaceful place. Now, we read earlier today in Psalm 119 where he was exceedingly afflicted. So in a sense, there is no peace in that sense. But even in affliction, what do the children of God have? They have peace with God. They may not have peace in this world, but they always have peace with God. And when we live a godly life, we are always walking in pleasant ways. Because when we obey God, does our conscience torment us at night? When we do what's pleasing to God, are we ashamed? No, we're, we, have, we have peace because we know that we're doing the will of God. And it lifts us up in those times. We have pleasant ways before us. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. A tree of life. The tree of life in Genesis chapter 2 was in the garden. And yet whenever sin entered into the world, they were barred from the tree of life. They were cast out. Well, here, access to the tree of life is once again granted. And how is this access granted? Through Jesus Christ through faith in Christ. When we gain the wisdom of God that leads to salvation, then we have access to the tree of life. And who is the tree of life? But our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If we look in Revelation chapter 2, Revelation chapter 2, and verse 7, Revelation 2, 7 says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. The one who overcomes. And the overcoming proves, manifests that he's a true believer, a true child of God. Because the false convert doesn't overcome, but he is overcome by his sin. But the one who overcomes, he will enter into the kingdom of God, and there he will have access to the tree of life. He will grant this access. Well, that's the same as what the prophet Solomon is teaching here. The wisdom of God that leads to salvation is a tree of life to those who take hold. It leads to salvation and happiness. Happy are all who hold her fast. Happy because they have their sins forgiven. They have been reconciled to God and they are no longer dead in their trespasses and sins. Verse 19, the Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps were broken up and the skies drip with dew. Here, the prophet is using the wisdom of God that is manifested and seen in the created order, in the created world, to teach us to look to God for spiritual wisdom, for the world to come, right? Just as we see the wisdom of God in the seen world, so we ought to seek the wisdom of God for the unseen world, for the spiritual world. Well, isn't it true that God founded this earth by wisdom? Aren't there many evidences in the world, in the created world, of the wisdom of God 
all around us that the world was created by a very wise creator, right? A very wise creator, one that far exceeds our wisdom. There are many people who will spend their entire life, right, to gain wisdom and understanding, knowledge of just some aspect of creation, just trying to understand the way the created order works. But they didn't invent it. They're not the ones who came up with it in their own mind. They're simply trying to understand what is there, what is perceivable in this created world. And they might devote an entire life just to understand some small area of creation. But who's the one who created all of this? Where did it all originate from? Who is the one who, for example, determined the constellations and where they would be ordered? How close the moon would be to the earth? why the earth sits on its axis, the proximity the earth is to the sun, why it rotates around the sun the way that it does, why it spins every day, right? The, the currents and the waves and the oceans and how all of that works together and how all these various parts of the created order are dependent one upon another in order for life to exist even on this earth. Who was the one that came up with all of this? Who established all of it? It was the Lord. By His wisdom, The earth has been established. By his understanding, the heavens are established. By his knowledge, the deeps were broken up. The skies drip with dew. All of these things came about because of the wisdom of God. And these things are perceivable. Every single day, we see the wisdom of God in the created order. Well, when we see that, it should lead us to seek the wisdom of God for salvation. If God is such a wise God as to establish the earth in this way, then doesn't he have the wisdom of salvation? Shouldn't we go to him and seek his wisdom for how to have our sins forgiven, to understand the human condition, to understand our own sin, to understand who he is? Why would we go to men? Why would we trust the ideas of men and let them tell us who we are? Let them tell us how we need to live. Let them tell us how our sins can be forgiven. When we can go to the Creator and we see His wisdom all around us, we should trust Him. So He's using the wisdom of God in creation to point us to the wisdom of God for redemption. The wisdom in the seen for the wisdom in the unseen. And that's what we need to look to. God's wisdom in these ways. We read about that earlier in Psalm 19. Psalm 19, the first part of Psalm 19 is talking about the revelation of God, the knowledge of God manifested in creation. And then the second part of Psalm 19, the knowledge of God manifested in the word of God, right in the word. Psalm 19, verse 1, the heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Their their line has gone out throughout all the earth, and their utterance to the end of the world. In them he has placed a tent for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run his course. Its rising is from one end of the heavens, and its circuit to the other end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat." Don't we see these things every day? Every single day, we have reminders of the wisdom of God. And when we see these things, it should prompt us, it should motivate us to seek God for the wisdom of salvation, the wisdom of how to live a godly life, the wisdom of God found in the word of God. Verse 21, my son, let them not vanish from your sight. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. Don't let them vanish from your sight, right? And this would come about through uh, our own stupidity, from our own laziness. We know what the Word of God says. It's our own uh, lack of diligence that would cause the commandments of God to vanish from our sight. Because don't we all have Bibles? Everyone has a Bible at home, probably multiple Bibles, even digital Bibles on your phone. So if we forget what the Word of God says, whose fault is it? It's our own fault when we have it right before us. So this vanishing would be intentional. It would be willful vanishing 
on our part. Well, he says, don't do that. The reason people don't know the word of God is not because they don't have access. It's because they don't have the desire. They don't want it. Well, he's telling him, don't let that be true of you. Don't let it vanish from your sight. Do not wander far from God's commandments, but keep them ever in your mind, always on your thoughts. Be reading it, hearing it, memorizing it, meditating on it day after day after day. Psalm 119, verse 10. Psalm 119, verse 10 says, With all of my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Then verse 19, I am a stranger in the earth. Do not hide your commandments from me. Verse 21, you rebuke the arrogant, the cursed, who wander from your commandments. They wander from God's commandments because they don't want the knowledge of God in their mind so that they can sin without a guilty conscience. But we don't want to be like that. We want to know the will of God. We want it so that we know how to live a life pleasing to him. So do not let them vanish from our sight. But we need to keep it. And then verse 22, so they will be life to your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk in your way securely and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden fear, nor the onslaught of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. When we believe the word of God and we keep sound wisdom and discretion, it will be life to our soul. That's good for us. It will be adornment for our neck. We will be adorned with the wisdom of God, which will make us honorable, right? It will make us beautiful in the sight of God. Our adorning should not be external, not merely external, but the inner person of the heart. This is the adornment that we need. This is what makes someone beautiful in the sight of God, is whenever they heed the word of God. That's the adornment that we need. And then also, he says, you will walk in your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. When we believe and are obeying the word of God, there is security. We are stable. We're not stumbling and fumbling around. We're not falling to our own ruin and destruction. When we believe the word of God, God gives us stability so that our feet do not slip and we do not fall, even if we're in a very precarious situation. Habakkuk chapter 3. Habakkuk chapter 3, at the end of the book, the prophet says that God has made his feet like a deer. Even though God has just predicted the utter destruction of his nation by wicked people, and it's going to be very difficult to go through, yet his feet are not going to stumble because he believes in the word of God. Habakkuk 3.16 says, I heard and my inward parts trembled. At the sound, my lips quivered. Decay enters my bones, and in my place I tremble. Because I must wait quietly for the day of distress, for the people to arise who will invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail, and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold, and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He has made my feet like hinds feet and makes me walk on my high places. There, the deer, the uh, mountain goats, these kinds of animals that live in the rocks, in the clefts of the rocks, on, in areas where if we walked, if we were put in those places, we would quickly slip and fall, and then we'd fall off the side of a cliff, right? And we'd fall to our own ruin and destruction. We'd die right there. But you see these animals, these goats, mountain goats, these types of deer who can run up and down these cliffs very quickly here and there and they never slip and fall because they have feet that are made to walk around and do those kinds of things on the side of the mountains. Well, that's what he says his feet are like spiritually. 
Spiritually, he's going to be put in a very difficult situation. But though it is a difficult situation that they are going to endure, he's not going to slip and stumble and fall because God has made his feet like hinds feet. So he will be secure and he will be stable. This is what happens when we have the wisdom of God. No matter what we face in this life, we will be able to endure it. We will be able to persevere. It will not cause our faith to falter if we believe the word of God. He says in 24, when you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will, your, your sleep will be sweet. Again, even when there are harsh circumstances. Many times when people are going through difficulties, sleep evades them. When they lie down at night, they're not able to sleep because their mind is consumed with whatever is going on. They're very anxious over these things. But that's not what happens to the one who believes the word of God. He's not afraid, right? He's able to sleep at night. He lies down in this way. He has sweet sleep at night because he knows his sins have been forgiven. He knows there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So he does not dread and fear the day of judgment, the day of evil, like the ungodly do. Right? They tremble at the rustling of the leaf, but he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that because he knows his sins have been forgiven. So when he lies down, his sleep is sweet because of the knowledge that his sins have been washed away. 1 Peter 3, 1 Peter 3, verse 21. 1 Peter 3, 21 says, corresponding to that, baptism now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here, the baptism he's speaking of is not the water baptism, the immersion, which we should undergo and is a symbol of what Christ has done for us. But what that represents is this baptism, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but the appeal to God for a good conscience, which has to do with the removal of what? removal of sin. When our sins are forgiven and when we are washed in the blood of Christ, then we have a good conscience before God because our sins have been taken away. And also now, what kind of a life do we want to live? We want to live a holy life, a godly life. So we have a good conscience before God. And when we have a good conscience before God, then aren't we able to sleep better, right? We have security. We have these kinds of things. So even in this life, when we lie down, we will be able to sleep because of this. But also, when we have the ultimate sleep, which is the day of our death. Even then, in the day of our death, it will be sweet. We will not be afraid to stand before God on the day of judgment. Right? The wicked, they do not have any confidence. They know that they're going to die. And their minds are tormented as to what's going to happen to them after their death. But the believer, we know what's going to happen to us after our death. We know what awaits for those who love God. So it doesn't torment us the day of death. Yes, there may be some fear and apprehension in terms of the manner of death or what's going to happen to us in the exact moment. But in terms of where we will go and what we will experience, there is no fear in those things because we have the word of God. The word of God teaching us these things so we're prepared for them and to stand before God on that day. Verse 25, Do not be afraid of sudden fear, nor the onslaught of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Many times in this life, the evil that comes upon us because we live a godly life happens suddenly. It happens suddenly. It happens quickly. Right? It's not something that we see coming. Many times it's not something that we can say, okay, I've got... Uh, 10 days to prepare myself for this, so I'm going to have my mind ready, right? It comes upon us very quickly. But when we have this wisdom, it doesn't matter if it comes upon us suddenly or not. It doesn't matter if the onslaught comes quickly. God will be our confidence and our foot will not be caught. Whatever the situation, whether we see it coming a mile away or whether it happens quickly, 
we will be prepared to deal with those things if we believe the word of God. An example of this would be in Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they faced the onslaught of the wicked. It came upon them suddenly. They were standing before the king. And many people in this situation, they would be trembling with fear, right? They wouldn't know what to do. They'd be pulling all their hair out. But not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They had great confidence. And their feet were not shaken. Their faith was not shaken. Their foot was not caught. Daniel 3.16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Here, the onslaught of evil came upon them. Sudden fear came upon them. And yet, here they are, boldly standing before the king, defying him in his very presence, even with the threat of immediate execution. And not an easy death either. Who wants to be burned alive? No one. That would be a horrible way to die. But they're not afraid. They're not afraid because what do they believe? They believe the word of God. They believe the word of God. They have this wisdom of God that's made them wise unto salvation, so they have no fear of death. They're not afraid of the king. They're able to answer him and speak boldly because God is with them. He is their confidence in this situation. Verse 27. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come back and tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. Here in the rest of this, he's teaching the obligations to love our neighbor as ourself, the second greatest commandment, which obligates us both to do good as far as we can, to do good to all men. And if there is some situation that comes to our attention and our neighbor needs assistance and help, then what should we do? We should help them. We should assist them. Don't withhold good from whom it is due. If there is something that we can do, that our neighbor has some need that we can meet, that we have an obligation to meet, then don't withhold it when it is in our power to do it. Whether that be uh, someone who has done a job for us and we have to pay them for the work that they've done and we have the money, what should we do? We should pay it to them. But aren't there many people you do a job for them and then you send them the bill and they have the money and they don't want to pay the bill? Well, that's not right. That's a sin. You're defrauding that person of what is his due. Or if it's a situation where there's someone like the man that fell among the robbers and is lying there half dead on the side of the road and you have the opportunity to do good to this man, then what should you do? You should help him. You should render aid and assistance to him and not leave him lying there half dead on the side of the road. How can you have the love of God in you if you see your fellow man in that situation and you do not come to his aid and assist him? So if you see someone, if there is some good that you can do, then do it. And if it's in your power to help him, then help him. Don't say, well, come back tomorrow and then I will give it to you. No, why would you do that? He needs it today. Can you come back tomorrow and help the man half dead on the side of the road? No, he'll probably be dead tomorrow. When is the time to help him? Immediately, right then, you have the power. Help him, assist him, do what you need to do. So we have an obligation to love our neighbor as ourself, to do good to all men, especially those of the household of faith. It says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, that whenever it comes to our attention, whether it is a debt that we need to pay or whether it is a debt of kindness, a debt of good that we need to render to another person and it is in our power to help them, then we need to help them. And we need to help them immediately. Now, of course, he's not talking about deadbeats and bums, people who are mooches, who are going around not working. If a person won't work, then he shouldn't eat. We're not going to give him any food. But if a person is desperate, who isn't like that, but who has been brought to this 
from some unforeseen circumstance, then we need to help them. So he doesn't mean this with no discernment. Of course, he has to exercise discernment, but whenever a legitimate need arises or a legitimate debt is there, we need to pay it and fulfill our obligations. Luke chapter 10, Luke 10, 30 to 37, we made reference to this, but we'll read it. This is the Good Samaritan. He had it in his power to help the man, and this is what he did. While the other two, who were religious men, failed to help the man that fell among the robbers. Luke 10, verse 30. Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So this would be violation of 27 and 28. Right? It was in their ability to do good to this man, but they didn't do it. They left him there to die. But then, 33, a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. He came to him, bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, and put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? He said, The one who showed mercy toward him. Then Jesus said, Go and do the same. So there, he, the Samaritan, he had an obligation to do good to this man, and he did. He did. It was in his power to help him, so he rendered assistance and saved his life. Also, James chapter 5, in James chapter 5, whenever there are those who are poor and who depend upon their daily work for their daily bread, we should not refuse to pay them, but we should give them what is owed. James 5, verse 1, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries, which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted, and their rust will be witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It is the last days that you have stored up your treasure. Behold, the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields, which has been withheld by you, cries out against you, and the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. So there they are holding back by fraud the pay of the laborers. The laborers did the work. They mowed the fields, but then they did not give them their due, what they were obligated to pay them. They're the ones that say, well, come back tomorrow and I'll pay you. And then they come back tomorrow, and what happens? Well, come back next week, and I'll pay you. They're holding it back. And do they have any legitimate reason to do this? No, they have plenty of money. They're just stingy people who want more and more money. But they should not do that. <coughs> Verse 29. Do not devise harm against your neighbor when he lives securely beside you. Do not contend with a man without cause if he has done you no harm. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. So not only does love obligate us to do good to our neighbor, it also obligates us not to do evil, right? To devise harm against our neighbor. We should not be doing these types of things. Why would we want to harm our neighbor? Why would we want evil to come upon them? Why would we be doing these types of things? Out of spite? Out of envy? Right? Out of jealousy? Who does this? Who thinks like this? Only an unbeliever would do this. So don't do that. Don't be like an unbeliever. An unbeliever, they may do evil to their neighbor just out of curiosity, just for the fun of it, out of spite or envy or jealousy, but we're not supposed to be like that. So he says, don't do that. Don't devise harm against your neighbor while he lives securely beside you. He's living securely, but you have difficulty. 
So you're jealous of him because he has it better than you, so you're going to try to bring him down a level. Don't do that, right? We should not live in this way. Don't contend with a man without cause if he has done you no harm. Why are you going around picking fights with people, getting into quarrels, being this kind of person, right? Leave them alone, right? You keep to yourself, live a quiet, peaceful life, and leave him alone. Why are you going, causing strife, stirring up problems? Aren't there people that like to do this? There's a lot of people like this. They are quarrelsome people, malcontents, troublemakers. They just go from here and there, and they're always stirring up fights, causing problems, usually because they can't keep their big mouth shut. Well, don't do that. Don't live in that way. Why are you picking fights with people without a cause if he's done you no harm? Now, if he's done you harm, then go and deal with it, rectify it, but do it in the right way. Go through the right authorities, do it in the proper way. Don't repay evil with evil. But if he's done you no harm, then why are you bothering him, right? Let him alone. As it says in Romans 12, 18, so far as it depends on us, live peacefully with all men. We should seek to live a peaceful life and to live peaceful with all men. Also, Proverbs 26, Proverbs 26, verse 17. Like one who takes a dog by the ears is he who passes by and meddles with strife not belonging to him. You don't want to take a dog by the ears because if you do, he's going to bite you. And this is what men are like. They want to get involved in strife that doesn't belong to them. They have no business being involved in it, so stay out of it, right? Why do you want to get involved in these things other than people like to fight? They love to fight and quarrel and argue and bicker and do this type of stuff. There are many people like this. He says, stay out of it, right? Don't live this kind of contentious life. Verse 31, do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. Don't envy the man of violence, even if in his violence he becomes very wealthy, which can happen. There are violent men, ruthless men, wicked men who become very wealthy. Actually, in Psalm 73, this is exactly the problem that the prophet is dealing with that he's confessing concerning his own life. Psalm 33, verse 3 says, I was envious of the arrogant as I saw the prosperity of the wicked. When he saw their prosperity, then he began to be envious of them. Well, if the man is a man of violence, yet he's also a man of prosperity, then we'll think, oh, I wish I could be like him. I wish I had all of his money. Oh, I wish that I could trade places with him. But why would we want to trade places with a man of violence? Knowing that whatever prosperity he has, how long is he going to have it? Well, just a very short time. Right? Even if he lives a long life, he's going to die and go to hell. But isn't it also true that men of violence also come to violent ends? Everyone who lives by the sword also dies by the sword. If he's a violent man in this life, many times, then they're going to die prematurely. Someone's going to shoot them, right? Someone's going to stab them. Someone's going to beat them up, and they're going to die and have a miserable death. So why would we envy those kinds of people? No, we shouldn't envy them. Don't choose and walk in his ways. Ultimately, because of what it says in verses 32 to 35, what will happen to the violent man, to the wicked man, in contrast to what will happen to the peaceful man, to the righteous man? 32. The devious are an abomination to the Lord, but he is intimate with the upright. The curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Though he scoffs at the scoffers, yet he gives grace to the afflicted. The wise will inherit honor, but fools display dishonor. We have to look at the outcome. The outcome of men. What will happen to them on the day of judgment. What is true of them now in the sight of God? Look at them from God's perspective. Well, here the devious man is an abomination to the Lord. Do we want to be an abomination in the sight of God? 
Of course not. Then don't be a devious man. Okay, then also, the curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked. Do we want God to curse our house? No, then don't be a wicked man. And that curse is not just going to be on us, but if it's on our house, who else is it going to be on? Our wife, our children, our grandchildren. Do we want God cursing our family, cursing us, cursing our house? No. Well, then don't be wicked. Verse 34, he scoffs at the scoffers. Do you want God scoffing at you on the day of judgment? No, we don't want that. Then don't be a scoffer toward other men. Fools display dishonor. Do we want to display dishonor? Do we want everyone to see how stupid we are? How foolish we are? Do we want God to bring us forward on the day of judgment and display us to be a fool in the sight of all men? No. Okay, then don't be like them. Don't envy these kinds of people. See what's going to happen to them on the day of judgment. Look at them the way that God looks at them and then have nothing to do with them. Then in contrast, he is intimate with the upright. Do we want God to be intimate with us? Do we want God to have a relationship with us? For him to be our father and for we to be his sons? He blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Do we want God to bless our dwelling? Do we want God to bless our homes, to bless our wife, to bless our children, to bless our grandchildren? Well, that's a good thing. Okay, well, who does he do that for? Only for the righteous. He doesn't do that for the wicked, but the righteous. He gives grace to the afflicted. Do we want God to give grace to us? Of course we do. Then don't be like these wicked people. And then the wise will inherit honor. God will show how wise they are. He will give them honor on the day of judgment. So why would we envy a wicked man, a vicious man, a violent man, an evil man? We should not envy them at all. We should envy the righteous man and say, I want to be like him. That's the man that I want to be like because I want to inherit the kingdom of God with him, right? I want to have the honors and blessings that God has bestowed on him. We have to look at things from this eternal perspective, from God's perspective. That's why, again, when we're talking about the wisdom of Proverbs, we're not talking about wisdom that just pertains to this life. We're talking about eternal wisdom, the wisdom of God that relates to salvation. Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12. And this wisdom was known in the Old Testament. Right? The Old Testament. They understood and knew about eternal realities. And that's what they were living for. The life to come, not this present life. Daniel chapter 12, verse 3. Actually, verse 2. Daniel chapter 12, 2 and 3. It says, many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So there the prophet Daniel is teaching about the resurrection, the day of resurrection. And in the day of resurrection... Some will rise to disgrace and everlasting contempt, and others will rise to everlasting life. Well, which group do we want to be in? Do we want contempt and disgrace, or do we want everlasting life? Those who have insight, that's what he's describing in Proverbs chapter 3. Insight, wisdom, understanding. Those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Don't we want that to be true of us for all eternity? Then what do we need to do? We need to listen to the word of God. Heed the wisdom of God found in Proverbs, but also found in the rest of the Bible, because this is what this wisdom will give us. It will give us the knowledge necessary to know God, to be reconciled to God, and to live a life that is pleasing to him so that we will rise on the day of judgment, not to shame and everlasting contempt, but we will rise to everlasting glory and honor. And that is what we should desire. Let us pray and then we'll be dismissed. <clears throat>
Father, we thank you for your word and, Lord, how you have given to us your wisdom. Lord, a wisdom that comes not from any man's own interpretation, Lord, not from the will of man, but, Lord, a wisdom that has come down out of heaven from you. Lord, a wisdom that makes us wise into salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Lord, this is the wisdom that we need, a wisdom to prepare us for the day of judgment, to prepare us for the life to come. Lord, everything we need for life and godliness is found in your word. And so, Father, I pray that we would desire it, Lord, that it would be more valuable to us than gold and silver, more precious than jewels. Lord, that we would see that there is nothing in this earth that compares to the wisdom of salvation and that we would seek for it more than anything else. Lord, give us this wisdom, Lord, so that we might do those things that are pleasing to you. Lord, that we might dwell securely, that we might have no fear of death. Lord, that we might not fear the evil of wicked men, but rather we will dwell securely. And Lord, you will give us the ability, Lord, to stand firm and to be immovable and unshakable. Lord, even in the face of great opposition. Lord, this is what we want. And so, Lord, we pray that you give it to us through your holy word. Father, we pray that you give us safety as we travel home today. Lord, that you would continue to bless us this Lord's Day, Lord, as we continue to worship you. And Lord, we pray that you would cause us this week to do your will, Lord, to live lives that are pleasing to you, and then bring us back together on Tuesday to study your word again. And it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.